You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. If you have Bibles, uh, we're in the book of Jeremiah today, Jeremiah chapter 29. Uh, and if you're using one of those black hardcover Bibles, page 656 uh, is where you'll find um, today's text. We are continuing uh, this series focused on faithful presence. Uh, and after a few weeks where we've talked a lot about sex and gender and sexuality, uh, we're, we're changing gears a little bit today, and we're going to talk about place. Place. Uh, as we say often at Liberty Church, our heart as a group of people uh, is to live and speak and serve as the very presence of Jesus in the Harrisburg region. And as you, as you hear that vision, as you hear that statement, it might stand out to you, it's attached to a place. Um, so we're not seeking to live and speak and serve as the very presence of Jesus in general so much, although that's true in a way, but we're seeking to do that in a particular time, in a particular place. And really, all of us, this is true for every single person that's ever set foot on the face of the earth, we live our lives at a specific moment in history and on a particular piece of ground. We really can do no other besides that. And remarkably, this is even more amazing, remarkably, God, who is the eternal creator and sustainer of all things, God who is not bound by time and space, chooses to work within it. Our infinite God chooses to work within the finite. And Jesus Christ, who is God in the flesh, entered into a real time and a real place, the first century in modern-day Palestine. And as Romans chapter 5 puts it, the Apostle Paul writes that he died for us at just the right time. The God who is not bound by time and space came into it at just the right time in order to live and to die and to rise again for our salvation. So here's the big idea. Place matters. And as Jesus' church, we are called to faithfulness in this particular time in place. It is not so much our role to determine what faithfulness to Jesus might look like somewhere or someplace, but really it's our responsibility, it's our joy and privilege to figure out what that looks like right here and right now. And anchored and guided by the eternal word of God, guided by the spirit of God to live that out. So as we seek to do that a little bit even in our time this morning, let me pray for us and then we'll get into the book of Jeremiah a little bit. So, and pray with me. Blessed are you, God of all creation. You spoke in the beginning, and all things came to be. You spoke, and your eternal word, Jesus Christ, came to live with us, full of grace and truth. So we ask now that you would bless this place in which we hear your word. As we listen, may our ears, may our hearts be attuned to you. As your word is spoken, May you speak to us, and may all that we hear lead us to you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and our God. Amen. We're going to be in the book of uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, verses 1 through 7. As you're making the, your way there, let me set that up for us a little bit. Um, after being freed from slavery in Egypt, God's people, the Israelites, settle in the promised land. And fast forward from there a couple hundred years, actually this fall we're going to be doing a series in the book of Judges, so we'll zoom in on those couple hundred years and what that actually looked like, so, so stay tuned for that. 
But fast forward a couple hundred years from when the Israelites arrive in the promised land, and there's a united kingdom under King David and then his son, King Solomon. But after Solomon, the kingdom divides, and the ten northern tribes separate themselves from the two southern ones. The ten northern tribes are known as Israel, and the two southern ones as Judah. And this time period for both Israel and Judah is not a particularly bright spot in their history. Uh, some of us have been reading through the Bible in a year, and we've been in the, the Chronicles and in First and Second Kings recently. You're reading specifically about how bad things got. There are a lot of bad kings who lead the people into really vile and wicked practices and the worship of false gods. And so when that happens, the one true God, like he said he would, like he told them he would do, raises up other nations who then will conquer and exile the Israelites because of their rebellion against him. So in the year 722 B.C., uh, the northern kingdom, those ten tribes of Israel, they fall to the nation of Assyria. The southern kingdom survives for about another 130 years or so, and during that time, Babylon becomes the dominant world power in the ancient Near East. And that really then brings us to the book of Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah is a prophet to the southern kingdom of Judah during Judah's final days. Uh, its destruction is imminent. The king of Babylon, you might recognize his name, it's a man named Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, he's already, at this point when we read Jeremiah 29, he's already taken a big group of people from Jerusalem, which is that capital city of Judah. Uh, he's taken them and exiled them to Babylon. Jerusalem has not yet been destroyed, it's not yet fallen yet, but within 10 years of Jeremiah writing this letter, Jerusalem's gates will be broken down uh, and its walls will be burned with fire. So in chapter 29, Jeremiah writes a letter to the exiles, to the thousands of men and women who have already been removed from Jerusalem and taken to Babylon. And that's where we pick it up uh, in Jeremiah 29, verses 1 through 7. So I invite you now to listen with open ears uh, to this book that we love. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It, the letter, said, verse 4, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. Verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. This is God's word. So from this passage, we learn a lot about the biblical concept of place. And from, from God's words, from God's commands to, to these Israelites living in exile, we really find the framework and the understanding for our own call to live out 
life as exiles in our place and time. So three things that we'll walk through the rest of our time this morning. We have a place. This isn't it. And this is it. We have a place. This isn't it. And this is it. So first, we have a place. Uh, Jeremiah, as you heard, is writing to exiles. An exile is someone who is not in the place that they're meant to be, the place that they want to be, the place that they belong. So in order to be an exile in the first place, it means that there must be an original place that you do belong. If you don't have a place, then by definition, you're not an exile, you're a nomad. You're wandering around placeless. For the Israelites, their place is the promised land. It was the place that, that God had given them. And back in the book of Genesis, when God calls Abraham, he tells him that as far as he can see, as far as his eyes can see, it will one day become a land that his offspring will possess forever. The Israelites have a place. There's a, there's a plot of ground where they are meant to be. Like the Israelites, we have a place. We have our own promised land, so to speak. And it is eternity with God in his kingdom. Uh, in reality, the same thing was actually always true of Abraham and his descendants. God gave them a literal land, a plot of ground. But in Hebrews chapter 11, we read that Abraham was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. For people who speak thus, the author of Hebrews goes on to write, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. As it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. So the pro even the promised land was never the ultimate place for the Israelites. It was certainly a real, uh, tangible, legitimate place for them, but only as a taste of the true place for the people of God, which is with God. So we, like Abraham and like these Israelites, we have a place. We have a heavenly city designed and built by God. And more than any plot of ground, more than any moment or era in history, eternity with God is what we were made for, is our place. In the book of Philippians chapter 3, the, the apostle Paul affirms the same thing when he writes that our citizenship is in heaven and that we eagerly await a savior from there who is Jesus Christ the Lord. That is really what we yearn for. That is what that's where our hearts want to be. Uh, that's where our eyes, each and every moment of each and every day, are meant to be fixed. As God's people, our place is God's present and coming kingdom. We have a place that we belong and are meant for. And that means, second, that this isn't it. We have a place, second, this isn't it. We are in exile from our place. The people to whom Jeremiah writes this letter uh, have been forcibly removed from the promised land. Uh, and for you and I as, as present-day Americans, it's all but impossible for us to understand the kind of crisis that that would entail for an Israelite. Uh, when I moved here, which was about nine years ago now, uh, the Susquehanna River and its feeders had just flooded in a major way. Some of you might remember that in, in 2011. Uh, and it displaced a number of people in our region, including a couple of the people that were part of the original core team of planting Liberty Church. They were removed from their home for four or five months. And if that's ever been true for you, if you've ever been forced to leave your home for any reason, uh, you know how disorienting that is to not be able to be where you want to be and where you 
belong. Not to make light of that in any way, uh, but that kind of displacement actually pales in comparison to that of a refugee, uh, someone who is forced to flee their home for some reason. Like imagine if you had to today, like in the next couple hours, pack a couple things and leave Pennsylvania or leave the United States forever and go to a, another country, a foreign culture that you knew nothing about, and that was now going to be your new home. Exile is even harsher than that. When nations like Assyria and Babylon had conquered people and would exile them, would take captives away into exile, it would do so in, <coughs> excuse me, in the most shameful and humiliating ways possible. They would often put hooks into people's noses or other parts of their body and chain them together and parade them from their homeland, their, their actual homeland, to their new place of, of exile. Now, on top of that, these Israelites have been ripped away from their place that's explicitly been promised to them by God himself. And they've been forcibly removed, not by a nation, not by a people more righteous than them, but by pagan nations of Assyria and Babylon. If you ever read anything about history about the nations of Assyria and Babylon, they are world-class in their evil and wickedness and their practices. They were not like a righteous group of people, a moral group of people. And this is why nobody believes Jeremiah when he says that Judah and Jerusalem's destruction is imminent. Because they're, they're thinking to themselves, well, God has promised us this land. His very presence is here at the temple in Jerusalem. It's unfathomable to them that God is going to take the Israelites out of this place, especially at the hand of pagans. It's why on multiple occasions God says that this destruction is going to make the ears of the people tingle when they hear about it. And it is exactly what happens. Uh, first, Israel is exiled to Assyria. Now, Jeremiah is writing to the first of what will eventually be many more of Judah's exiles who have been taken to, to Babylon. So they have a place. Babylon is not it. And the same thing, different specifics, but the same thing is true of you and me. Even though most of us have never been forcibly removed from our homes, we are described in Scripture as aliens and strangers and exiles. The book of 1 Peter has some of the best examples of that. The Apostle Peter there refers to followers of Jesus as elect exiles. He calls Christians sojourners and exiles or aliens and strangers, depending on your translation. And he says that we should conduct ourselves with fear throughout the time of our exile. Peter, when he writes that letter, is not primarily writing to Jewish people. He's writing primarily to non-Jewish people or Gentiles. So he's not referring to Jewish people who are in exile from the promised land. He's taking that same idea and applying it to the church. So the church, by definition, is a people in exile. As the people of God, with our citizenship in heaven, the world, whatever place you occupy in it, it's not your ultimate home. Or as Jesus puts it in his high priestly prayer, his followers are not of this world. Uh, we don't, in other words, belong to, we aren't ultimately made for this world. Those of us who, by faith, follow Jesus Christ have a place, but this is not that place. We ourselves are in exile. Now here's the incredible part and uh, the critically important paradox that we have to 
wrestle with and we have to embrace if we're going to gain a biblical understanding of place. It's that although this is not our place, third, this is our place. The place of exile, in a very real way, is our place. Listen again to what God tells these Israelites to do in verses 4 through 7. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Now lest we forget, God is telling these people, these Israelites to do that in Babylon, in hostile enemy territory, in a place where their God is not acknowledged or worshipped, where their traditions and their customs are not welcomed and appreciated. In those circumstances, God is saying here, have a buy, don't rent mentality. Don't live in tents, build a house and live in it. There's, there's precedent for the people of God to dwell in tents for a long period of time. They did it for 40 years wandering around the wilderness. And you might think this would be a moment where God would say, well, you're not going to be in Babylon that long. Just live in tents for a few years and endure it. He says, no, no, no. Via Jeremiah says, don't live that way in Babylon. Build a house. Put roots down. Invest in the place where you are. God tells them to cultivate and multiply. Plant crops. Make a lot of produce. Have kids. Don't decrease in number. Continue to grow the population. He says, seek its welfare. And the word in Hebrew there is shalom. Uh, which means peace and prosperity. Seek its flourishing, in other words. And think about that. Think about what God is really saying here. He's saying to people, this nation that's easy for you to hate, the ones who conquered you, the ones who forcibly removed you from your home, the ones who in a few years are going to completely destroy your holiest and most treasured city, it's now your job to help them thrive to help them prosper and flourish and to find peace. Are you kidding me? They've made life miserable. They've killed people I love. You might imagine an Israelite saying, they've destroyed places I love. Why should I not return the favor? Or at a minimum, let me just run out the clock on this miserable lot that I've been dealt. Why would I use my life to help them prosper? But let's make sure we see this in this text. All of this is God's idea. All of it. Verse 4, to all the exiles whom I, God, have sent into exile. Verse 7, seek the welfare of the city where I, God, have sent you into exile. This was not a mistake. This was God's doing. The Israelites did not just end up in Babylon. It wasn't just a series of geopolitical events that played out on a world scale and they just coincidentally wound up there. They were sent there by the good and the sovereign hand of God. And they were told by that God to seek its peace and its prosperity. Interesting note, an incredibly well-known verse, maybe the, the most well-known verse from Jeremiah, that's almost completely, almost always completely taken out of context is part of this passage, just a few verses after where we stopped reading. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not evil, plans to give you a future and a hope. Where do we quote that verse most often? 
Don't we, don't we tend to quote that for like people making college decisions, career decisions? We stitch it on a pillow or put it on a coffee mug or wherever else you might put it. God said it in the context of exile. He said it to remind his people that he knows what he's doing, especially in those moments that seem the most asinine and backward to the way we think the world should work. We should help the enemy prosper and flourish. Yes, I know the plans I have for you. That's the context of Jeremiah 29, 11. And so we desperately need to recover this, this concept of place. Just as God sent the Israelites into this exile in Babylon, God has sent us into the particular place and time that we live. And the Apostle Paul says this very thing in Acts chapter 17. Abby read a, a portion of it for us earlier. And Paul says this, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. And here's the key part. Having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. You do not live in central Pennsylvania by accident. You do not live in the apartment complex, the neighborhood that you live in by accident. And you are not alive in this first half of the 21st century by mistake. I know 2020 kind of feels like a mistake. Does it not? It's like, can it be 2021 yet? This year has been rough. But it's not a mistake. You dwell here. You are alive now, today, because God has determined that so that you and so that fellow image bearers of God that you live and work and play among might seek God and perhaps find their way toward him and find him. We have a place. This isn't it. And yet, God has determined the allotted period and the boundaries of our exile. So though this is not our ultimate place, in a very real way, this is our place. And this concept of place is a huge part of faithful presence, which is what we're talking about in this sermon series. But we find ourselves inclined to miss this in one of two ways. To either see place as perfection, to try to perfect the place that we are, make it some kind of heaven on earth, or to see it as a plague a place that we just want to get out of as fast as possible. There's perfection and there's plague. It's always helpful for me to think about The Little Mermaid when I'm talking about this. Anyone remember the movie The Little Mermaid? Many of you probably have seen it at some point in your life. Normally, uh, Pastor John has called dibs on like all Disney references since he lived down the street from Disney World in Florida. But he's out of town this weekend, so I'm sneaking a Disney reference in while he's, while he's gone. But when we think about the place that we live, some of us are like Sebastian. Sebastian loves the ocean, right? And he loves it so much that he gathers this gigantic band around him and sings a song about it. And in that song, under the sea, there's this one line that says, what more are you looking for? In other words, this is it. The ocean has everything you could possibly want. You don't have to look anywhere else for anything. It's all here. That seeing place is perfection, which really is ultimately to make an idol of a place. And it is for us folly and futility to think that any place, to think that any moment in history will have everything that we could possibly want and that we would never have to long for anything more. You, friends, were made for infinitely more than any place and any time can ever afford you in this world. On the other hand, some of us are more like Ariel, the little mermaid herself. We hate the ocean. 
And we hate the ocean so much that we're willing to give up our voice to a creepy octopus lady just for a chance to get out and go somewhere else. That's seeing place as a plague. That's disdaining your time and your place. So much so that you start to to blame it for everything. You start to think that if only I could be in a different place, if only I could be alive at a different moment in history, everything would be fine, everything would be just the way it's supposed to be. But both of these miss the biblical concept of place. Both of these will lead us away from being the faithfully present followers of Jesus in this time and in this region. If we seek perfection from this place, we'll forget that we're not ultimately made for here and now. If we seek to make Harrisburg and this region some kind of heaven on earth, we will stop imploring people to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus. Do we not ultimately want for other people that they would become citizens of heaven as some of us have become? We don't want to make this place an amazing place to live and work and play and leave people here. We want people to become citizens of heaven and be in the kingdom of God with us for all eternity. That's what we want for people. If, on the other hand, we start to see our place as a plague, we'll abandon this calling from God to seek its welfare. And we will, as we do so, take on this joyless, antagonistic posture for whatever time we're here. How easy it would have been for the Israelites in Babylon to to live that way. And how easy it is for us to live that way. We'd rather escape. We'd rather avoid any kind of inconvenience or discomfort until we can just find a way to, to get out of here. I've lived in Harrisburg, as I mentioned, for just about nine years now. Uh, And as I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of people who live here, some for a short period of time, some for a long period of time, uh, anybody want to take a guess as to which people I meet more often, more Sebastians or more Ariels? It's not even close. I mean, there are almost all Ariels, little mermaids in central Pennsylvania. Now, I'll, I'll give this caveat. I lived in Texas for my college years, and in Texas, Everybody's a Sebastian. Everybody thinks Texas is amazing who lives there. They talk about it a lot. They do sing songs about it. Um, So my grid might be a little bit skewed there. But in central Pennsylvania, in my experience, there's not a lot of excitement about the place that we live. Uh, There aren't mainstream songs about Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, They don't base novels and TV shows in Harrisburg. I think they're they're up to like 300 CSI spinoffs now. They still haven't made one for Harrisburg. They haven't made the CSI Harrisburg yet. At times, maybe you've encountered this, maybe you've said this stuff yourself, at times it seems like people are apologetic that they live here instead of someone else. And we feel like we have to offer an explanation like, well, I was going to go to the prom with this girl, but she said no, so now I'm going with my backup friend date. And we kind of talk about our, our place that way. Like, I was going to live in Philadelphia, but now I'm in Harrisburg instead. Or I was going to, wherever it was going to be. And I, and I get that. Uh, There are challenges to living here. There are things that we don't have here that that other places have. Uh, When I moved here, um, we we were in debt because of an incinerator, like $300 million in debt because of an incinerator. And I was like, where in the world did I just move to that's in debt for $300 million because of an incinerator? Uh, We've had, over the decades, the last decades in this region, things have been mismanaged. There's been crime. There's been an opioid addiction. There's been the brain drain. Uh, Lancaster is cooler than we are. They have more food trucks. They have a better art scene, right? We kind of carry a chip on our shoulder about that. We can be embarrassed by our place. We can start to disdain it. We can seek to escape it. 
Or, or we can start to see that as an opportunity, as part of the reason that God has determined our time and our boundaries as here and now. So let me ask you, Liberty Church, how do you think about the Harrisburg region? Do you, do you carry a sense of the privilege and the responsibility it is to be here? Do you see it as the time and the boundaries that have truly been determined for you by God himself? How do you speak uh, about this place? Would your words, uh, would your attitude, would it, would it fit well with the tone and with the posture of Jeremiah's letter to the exiles? Would you be able to see yourself living out what God through Jeremiah has called these men and women to do? And how do you or don't you at this point then seek the welfare of this region? Just like he called the Israelites to do in Babylon, God has called us to seek the welfare of this place. And that doesn't mean in any way that we abandon proclaiming the gospel clearly. It doesn't mean that we abandon that so we can concentrate our efforts on social issues and justice issues. Quite the opposite of that. Really what distinguishes us as the church is that we are sent into the world to make disciples, uh, to teach other people to obey everything that Jesus commanded, to baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The second that we lose that, uh, we've lost our distinct mission as the church that's been established and bought by Jesus. But seeking the welfare of this place means that we, we must and we want to care about the broad-scale social issues and the justice issues that are playing out around us every day of our lives. It means we must care about poverty and homelessness and education and racial reconciliation and fatherlessness and families and public safety and public health and the arts and entertainment and the media and the government and businesses and on and on we could go. Our own welfare, our own shalom is tied up, is bound up in the welfare of this place. And the beauty of the church that's been bought by Jesus is that people who are transformed by his gospel as a response to that are sent out to transform every aspect and facet of life around them for the glory of God and the good of other people. We get to serve the genuine good of other people regardless of what they believe because we've been sent into this place as God's people. Now, there are perhaps a few among us who care too much about this, who will need to be told in a godly way to care a little bit less because Harrisburg will never become a heaven on earth, and nor is it meant to. But I think that more of us need to learn, need to be compelled to care more, to be more affected by how well or not well our townships and municipalities and the people around us are doing. As you start to see Scripture and the significance Scripture puts on place, I would invite you even today, even this week, begin to yoke yourself to this place in a new way, in a fresh way. Technology and transportation has made our culture, and really most cultures, incredibly transient. So we can today, in a way that's never been true in the history of humanity, we can be everywhere and belong nowhere. We can go anywhere we want to and we can get there quickly but have no sense of a place that we call our own, no ownership over a particular part of this world. And it makes, us way, it makes it way harder for us to grasp this truth that it is God and not us who determines our time and boundaries. 
we can start to kid ourselves that actually we are the masters of our own time and boundaries. We can go where we want, when we want, and do what we want. So I'd say this to all of us in the room, but especially to those of us who are maybe like 35 and under. Don't assume that you have to go somewhere else. Don't assume that you have to go somewhere else to find something significant in your life. In fact, in the moments of your life, and I'm sure you've experienced this and you will more in the years to come, when the grass seems greener elsewhere, put the emphasis, put the onus on what Acts 17 says, that it is God who has determined your boundaries and your time, that you really are here for a reason. And if you're here in this time and place, if that's been determined by God, then there really does need to be a compelling reason, a calling even, to uproot and go elsewhere. There, that, that's not infrequent. That happens often, and there's many good reasons to go other places, certainly. But it should never be flippant. It should never be flippant. Christians aren't nomads. They're exiles, which means they have a place, and they learn to own a place as their own and live this out in a particular place. So friends, let us, for as many days or years as we have together, let us own the Harrisburg region as our place under the mighty hand and sovereign hand of God. Not in an idolatrous way, not forgetting that our ultimate citizenship is in heaven and that we're eagerly awaiting a savior from there. In fact, it is Jesus himself, the second person of the Trinity, taking on human flesh, dwelling in a particular time and place, reconciling us to God by his life and death and resurrection. This is what gives meaning and purpose and shapes our thinking about place this way. Our ultimate place is not here. It is with him forever. But the same God, the God of your salvation, has truly sent you and sent me into this region to seek its welfare. So as Liberty Church, may we always be known as those who seek the welfare of the Harrisburg region because we have a place. This isn't it. By the grace of God, this is it. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. We praise you, God, our Father, for making your divine truth real to us in Jesus Christ. We praise you that you have determined these as our boundaries and this is our time. Give us gratitude as we gain this perspective. Give us gratitude that you have put us here and that you've made us alive in these days. Help us to see the responsibility of that. Help us to see the opportunity of that. Help us to truly be your people, exiles as we are, who seek the prosperity, who seek the peace, who seek the flourishing of this place to which you've called us and sent us. And we ask that, that what we do and that how we live and the way that we love would increasingly become a worthy response to the great salvation purchased for us by Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.